Sa'd ibn Ubadah is by far uh, one of the most entertaining and enriching stories uh, from the Ansar in welcoming the Prophet to Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara. Now, before I get started, some of you may have seen the trailer for the Ramadan series, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, uh, that will be, inshallah ta'ala, releasing daily as well as Quran 30 for 30 once again, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So please do sign up for that, inshallah ta'ala, at the link that's in the description. And this is the last episode, as we said, of the first. But the beauty of this is that, as I said in the last few weeks, if you understand this group of five, you understand how Islam came to Medina. This is the story of Islam in Al-Madinah. And one of the beauties of this, this, uh, this particular series is that some of the biographies are actually usually very short. But once you start to piece things together, you piece together the story of someone who may not have been given their due uh, in Islamic history. And when it comes to this man, Sa'd ibn Ubadah anhu, I want you to remember something very easy. You have the Sa'd of Aus, and you have the Sa'd of Khazraj. The Sa'd of Aus, the Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Remember the Ansar were two tribes, Aus and Khazraj. You have the Sa'd of Aus, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. You have the Sa'd of Khazraj, Sa'd ibn Ubadah. And if these two men became Muslim, then everyone knew Islam was going to come to Medina. It was resting on these two men. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, typically his biography is a lot longer in the books. However, with Sa'ad ibn Ubadah will find much richness ta'ala, uh, in his story. So Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, he is the son of Ubadah ibn Dulaym, who was the chief of Banu Sa'idah. So a sub-tribe of Khazraj, which was the larger of the two. So you had Khazraj and Aus, right? Much smaller, at war with each other. One of the sub-tribes of Khazraj is Banu Sa'idah. Now obviously, if you've been to Medina, that nice beautiful garden is the Saqifah of Banu Sa'idah. That's their garden, that is their location, okay? So his father was the chief of that sub-tribe, and his mother was a woman by the name of Amra bint Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anha from Banu Najjar, who is uh, going to become Muslim, lived to become Muslim. His father passes away in the Bu'ath Wars, which is the story of so many of them. His mother lives, accepts Islam, and will find a very beautiful uh, relationship between he and uh, his mother, Amra bint Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Sa'ad assumes the role of the chief of Khazraj. Sa'ad of Aus, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, Sa'ad of Khazraj, which is Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Now, As'ad ibn Zurara was rising up to become sort of the, uh, the most respectable, unifying person between the two. And you had another person who was about to become the king of Yathrib. They were going to call him literally the Malik of Yathrib, the king of Yathrib. And who was that? Does anyone know? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Literally, they say, as Sa'ad ibn Ubadah will say in one narration, his his garment was being tailored, his crown was already in manufacturing when the Prophet came to Medina. Like he was ready to be the king of this place and then the Prophet and Islam ruined his plans, right? For which he will be bitter and he will oppose the Prophet for the rest of his life. So Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Sarul is from Khazraj as well, but he is sort of transcending now Aus and Khazraj. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, Aus, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, Khazraj. 
Now, uh, one of the things about Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salud is that he spent this time basically campaigning after Bu'ath, and he had the buy-in of the pagan tribes, he had the buy-in of the Jewish tribes, he had the buy-in of all of the different factions in Yathrib to be the king. So he kind of got along with everybody in that sense, right? Now as for this man Sa'ad, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, one of his nicknames is Sa'ad al-Kamil, Sa'ad the perfect, literally. Tells you a lot about him. Sa'ad al-Kamil, Sa'ad the perfect. Why? They said Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu was strikingly handsome. And he was good at everything he did. So they said that كان يحسن القراءة. He used to, he had a beautiful, uh, or he was, he was good at reading. He was very literate. He was good at poetry. يحسن الرمي. He was good at throwing uh, the spear. He was good at archery. He was good at swimming. He was good at writing. He was good at calligraphy. So they said there is nothing that we have that distinguishes a person except that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is the most distinguished of them all. Okay? So he was nicknamed Sa'ad al-Kamil. Sa'ad, the perfect one. And the most distinguishing factor about him was actually the distinguishing factor of his father, the distinguishing factor of him, the distinguishing factor of his son, and that was al-Karam, generosity. They were very generous. So they were known as the hosts of Yathrib. That when anyone came to that city, if they were poor, if they were traveling, whoever they were, they could come to this family, and this was the family that would sponsor them. So generosity, al-Karam, was the trait of his father, even though his father uh, was not a Muslim and died before Islam came to them. But that was what he was known for. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, known for his generosity, as we'll talk, talk about, and his son, Qais ibn Sa'ad, becomes known for his karam, known for his generosity as well. And there's something that the scholars mention here, which is that if you notice, generosity is a trait that is usually transferable through generations. You know, typically if you meet someone who's generous or who's very charitable and you ask them why they're like that, they'll say, they'll point to something they learned from their parents. You often see al-karam, generosity, transferred from generation to generation and a family embraces that as an identity. And this was the case of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. His generosity was so acknowledged that Khazraj used to write poetry about his generosity they said that when there were droughts, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah would provide the crops for all of the city of Yathrib. When anyone came through, Sa'ad provided, he had a guest house for them, literally for any of the travelers that came through. When there were disasters, he protected the community. He wrote off all the debts of anyone in his tribe, even distant relatives that he was barely uh, related to. And he used to stand every day, this is before Islam, right? He used to stand every day on top of his home and he had a big home, okay? And he used to call out and he used to say, Man ahabba shahm faliyati sa'ad. Whoever likes to eat, you know, uh, the, the, what would you call it? Shahm and lahm is like the fat and like the meat. Like whoever wants the good stuff comes to Sa'ad bin Ubadah. I've got your meat here, I've got all the good stuff. I'm not just, usually when you gave charity, you gave barley or you gave dates. So Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu would call out before Islam and would say, Whoever wants, you know, a healthy meal tonight, come to my house. And he would open up his house every single day. Now I want to stop here for a moment because Usayd ibn Hudayr was like Utbah except that, remember when we talked about Usayd, when he heard the Qur'an, he listened to it in a way that Utbah refused to. If there is an equivalent to Abu Jahl when he was Abu al-Hakam, 
when the Prophet was making dua for his guidance. And Abu Sufyan and the nobles of Mecca that were known for their generosity and used to host the Hujjaj, it's actually Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. He is their equivalent. He's the closest thing to them in Yathrib, in terms of a noble person that is known to host the outsiders because this is what the people of Mecca used to, the nobles of Mecca used to compete with, but for insincere reasons, right? They wanted to host the Hujjaj so that they could get a leg up with their tribe. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is their equivalent, except Sa'ad ibn Ubadah will embrace Islam. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, what? Anasu ma'adan, that people are like precious stones. Khiyarukum fil jahriya, khiyarukum fil Islam. The best of you in the days of ignorance are the best of you in Islam. Ida faqihu, if you have understanding. So you transfer those good qualities. You transfer those good traits and you polish them through Islam. So generosity was his trait and uh, everyone knew it in Yathrib and outside of Yathrib. So Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is the last person to become Muslim in this incident that we've spoken about for the last five weeks. Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes to Medina with As'ad ibn Zurar radiallahu anhu. The first person to come to the house is who? Usaid ibn al-Hudayr radiallahu anhu. Then comes Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. Then Sa'ad ibn Ubadah hears about all this commotion going on. He shows up to the party. He says, what's going on here? They say, sit and listen to what this man has to say. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is the last of this group to listen to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu within that single day and become Muslim right away. So it is these five, Mus'ab, As'ad, Usaid, and the two Sa'ads. These five that literally took Medina by storm with Islam. And they all became Muslim in one day. This is equivalent to when Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu you know, recruited, essentially made up six of the ten promised paradise. Because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu as-Siddiq did not just become Muslim, he went and he grabbed all of the others too. He grabbed Uthman radiallahu anhu, Talha, Az-Zubair. He grabbed others, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, and brought them to Islam within a day or two. So this is what happens. These five people are going to be responsible for Islam in the entirety of Medina. And subhanAllah, when the rumor got out as to what happened in Yathrib, you know, before Twitter, before someone posted it online, the news got back to Mecca. And one of the poets stood on Jabal Abi Qubais, big mountain on the outskirts of the Haram. Okay, there's a lot of uh, parables about Abu Qubais. You could Google Abu Qubais, the mountain of Abu Qubais, huge mountain. He stood on it and he shouted out and he says, فَإِن يُسْلِمِ السَّعْدَانِ يُصْبِحُ مُحَمَّدٌ بِمَكَّةَ لَا يَخْشَى خِلَافَ الْمُخَالِفِ If the two Sa'ads become Muslim, Muhammad does not need to fear any of you. So he shouted it out. So Abu Sufyan went to him and said, what are you talking about? Who are the two Sa'ads? He said, Sa'ad al-Aws wa Sa'ad al-Khazraj. The Sa'ad of Aws being Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, the Sa'ad of Khazraj being Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. So if these two become Muslim, you're done. Muhammad doesn't need to fear you anymore. He's found a new home, and this is exactly what's going to happen. So he comes to the Prophet in the second bay'ah of Aqaba, the second pledge of Aqaba, along with the 70, and he pledges to the Prophet and the Prophet appoints him as one of the 12 chiefs of Al-Madina. And he's also looked at as sort of the overall leader of Khazraj and the Ansar in general. Now he has one thing 
that distinguishes him from all of the people that came from Medina in this regard. Remember, this was all happening in private in the days of Hajj. Okay? This whole pledge was happening without the Meccans knowing about it. There were some rumors that were starting to spread, but at the same time, they weren't aware of Bay'atul Aqaba. They're not sure, they don't really know what's going on. And this would have been a perfect opportunity to actually attack them. If the Prophet ﷺ allowed them, and some of the Ansar wanted to go out and attack the Meccans, hold them hostage. They're not expecting it right now, it's the days of Hajj. They don't know that you have this huge group of Muslims now with you. And the Prophet ﷺ said, لَمْ نُؤْمَرْ بِذَلِكُ We were not commanded to do that. So this is all happening sort of privately, right? Now when the Meccans get hold, they went after, they went in pursuit of the people of Yathrib. The only person they caught was Sa'd ibn Ubad. Okay? So after Bay'atul Aqaba, after the pledge of 70 of the Ansar to the Prophet they went after all of them. The only person they could get a hold of was Sa'd ibn Ubadah And they subjected him to all sorts of torture. All sorts of torture. Sa'd empathized with the Muhajireen because he's the only Ansari who was beaten like the Muhajireen. You know, all the stuff that happened to Bilal and Khabbab you go on and on and on and on. He's the only one from the Ansari that experienced some of that. Because they held him, they beat him, they tortured him. And they did all sorts of things to him. And he said it went on and on and on and on. And Sa'ad radiallahu anhu describes this moment. He says that, you know, one of the days in my torture, I remember I was brought out in chains. And he said, I hadn't eaten for days or drank anything for days. So they dehydrated me. They starved me. And he said, this super handsome man comes forward. Right? So you imagine he's in chains. He's coming out. He said, this super handsome man comes forward, you know, mashallah, he has that type of face where like something finally is going to ease. So he said, I looked at this man and I said, In kana fil qawmi khayr, rajul. He said, if there's any good in these people of Mecca, then it's going to be in this person. And he said, so he came close to me and he said, I thought to myself that he was going to rescue me. But then he raised his hand and he smacked me as hard as anyone else did. Right, so like it totally, Totally did not meet my expectations. So he said, I said, Wallahi ma ba'da hadha fil qawmi khayr. There's no good in these people. Like if that guy is going to beat me too, there's nothing left in these people of khayr. Right? So he's expecting this man, seems so nice. He's going to let me go. And he just raises his hand and smacks him right across the face. So Sa'ad radiallahu anhu said, he got on me and he started to beat me and they started to drag me. And he said, I was just taking it. And then Abu al-Bukhtari, he comes to me, Abu al-Bukhtari, and says, Wayhak. Woe to you, don't you have any trade partner or anyone that owes you something in Mecca to get you out of this? Any family? Like he's telling him, like, get yourself out of this situation. Can't you invoke anybody? Right? Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, remember, he could invoke who? Umayyah. Him and Umayyah were friends. They had trade agreements, right? That's what protected him before. So he's saying, don't you have anyone that you can call upon to get you out of this torture? So he said to Abu al-Bukhtari, he said, when Jubair ibn Mut'im ibn Adi would come to Yathrib, or Al-Harith ibn Harb comes to Yathrib, I am their host. Those two men, when they come to Yathrib, they're very powerful names in Mecca. Jubair is, of course, a nobleman. So when they come to Mecca, I'm the one that hosts them. So 
Abu Bukhtari said, Uskur ma baynaka wa Why don't you tell your torturers then? Abu Bukhtari is like trying to give him advice while he's being tortured. Tell them about your relationship with those two. So he said, I did. Fafa'alt. So he said then, my persecutors, they went to, uh, they went to Jubair and they went to Al-Harith and they asked them if it was true and both of them said, indeed, this is our host when we go to Yathrib. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is a generous man, he's a noble man. And when we go to Yathrib, when we go there, he's the one that hosts us and he's the one that opens to us and facilitates for us our trade routes and things of that sort. So they let him go. Finally, they let him go because he invoked the names of those two men. So Sa'ad ibn Ubadah makes it back to Yathrib after the rest of the group, after a long period of torture. And when the Prophet makes hijrah, and the Prophet does mu'akha, he pairs off uh, the brothers from Muhajirin with the brothers from the Ansar. Uh, he pairs off two uh, to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. He pairs off Al-Miqdad and Khabbab ibn Al-Arat. Al-Miqdad who last week we talked about again, right? That, that person from the Muhajireen that lit the fire under the feet of the Muhajireen always. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, noble companion. And none other than Khabbab ibn al-Arat, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And both of them actually lived in the house of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah for three whole years. So he hosted them for three years while they obviously were able to eventually uh, get up uh, out of that situation and to have their own home. So this is now him in al-Madinah. Uh, he also, because of his power, uh, he and Abu Jujana and a man by the name of Mundir ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they were the ones that actually were able to break the different idols that were left around Al-Madinah. So they were the ones that were given the instruction to go around and to break the rest of the idols that remain in Al-Madinah. So the Prophet comes to Medina. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu anhu has this position, right? And the Prophet recognizes this position. And before Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sarul accepts Islam at face value, because remember, he never really became Muslim. He only became Muslim when it was convenient to do so, when he figured he can't, if you can't beat them, join them, right? So let me try to destroy them from within. So up until Badr, he wasn't even pretending. The Munafiqeen were not even pretending to be Muslims up until the Battle of Badr, right? After Badr, and they started to sense some momentum, they then pretended to be Muslims and to wreak havoc from within. So Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Sarul was still, you know, sort of holding out. And he's from the same tribe as Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. He's from Khazraj. So Sa'ad ibn Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he gives us this narration to sort of give us the atmosphere of Medina at the time. He says, the Prophet rode a donkey having a saddle with a velvet covering and he put me behind him. Usama was, was a little kid at the time. So he said, he put me behind him. And we went to visit Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. So we're on our way to visit Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. And while we're on our way to go visit Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, the Prophet passes by a gathering and it was people surrounding Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Okay? So he says that this gathering had some Muslims it had some of the mushrikeen and it had some of the Jews. So it had some of the Muslims, the polytheists, and the Jews sitting together. So it's a mixed gathering at the time. And they're sitting, and Abdullah ibn, ibn Salul is in the middle of that gathering. So the Prophet وسلم, he, turned his, he turned his donkey towards him, and he started to approach the gathering. So he says, Abdullah ibn Salul uh, covered his nose with his upper garment, 
And he said, لا تغبروا علينا Like, don't bother us with the dust of your donkey. Get away from us. Right, so he's basically shooing the Prophet ﷺ away. He's trying to humiliate him as he's the newcomer to Al-Madinah, but he's making it about the donkey, right? The Prophet ﷺ didn't ride fine camels and fine horses, right? He's riding a donkey. So he's saying, لا تغبروا علينا Go away from us. Don't bother us with the dust of this donkey. So the Prophet ﷺ, he simply got off of the donkey. He walked towards them. He gave them salam. And the Prophet ﷺ said to them, can I talk to you about Islam? Will you hear me out? And the Prophet ﷺ started to recite some of the verses of the Qur'an, and he was about to do da'wah, right? So the Prophet ﷺ is beginning his da'wah to this group. Now remember, the Prophet ﷺ is the de facto leader of Medina at the time, right? But Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salud is hostile, and the Prophet ﷺ is respecting that space, he's trying to win him over. He's trying to win over some of those people that are around him, more importantly. So the Prophet ﷺ starts to recite the Qur'an, and he responds, and he says to him, Listen, O strange man. He said, فَلَا تُؤْذِينَ بِ... Or first he says, If what you're saying is true, then, then nothing is better than what you are saying. But he said, Otherwise, he said, لَا تُؤْذِينَ بِهِ فِي مَجْلِسِنَا Don't bother us in our gathering. وَارْجَعْ إِلَى رَحْلِكَ Go back to your place and whoever wants to hear your message can come to you. We're not interested in hearing you. If what you have is good, then great. But don't bother us. We didn't ask you to come here and start talking to us about your message. So go back to where you, you are and give those stories that you have, right? When people come to you. Now Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a Muslim and he was in that gathering. So Abdullah ibn Rawaha stands up and he says, Ya Rasulullah, we want to hear what you have to say. Then they started to fight all amongst each other. The Muslims in that gathering, the, 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 the polytheists in that gathering, the Jews in that gathering, they all started to fight amongst themselves about whether or not they wanted to hear the Prophet speak. Rasulullah he simply quieted them down, made them calm, and then the Prophet said salam and he left them. So Sam Zayd says, we continued on our way to Sa'd ibn Ubadah. And when we got to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, the Prophet ﷺ says, Ay Sa'ad, alam tasma' ma qala Abu Hubab. O Sa'ad, have you not heard what Abu Hubab, Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul, has said? And he said, Ya Rasulullah, excuse him for now, because Allah has given to you what he has given to you, and he envies you for that. He says, the people of Medina had gathered around him, and they were just about to place the crown on his head. But then, he was prevented by the truth which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you and he's grieving out of his hasad, out of his envy and this is why he's behaving in this way. He's saying to Rasulullah give him some time and inshallah ta'ala he'll come around, right? But this is his tribesman, right? And this sort of gives you the atmosphere of Medina at the time. Now as for Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he's going to continue in the path of generosity. And there's a very interesting dua because Sa'ad radiallahu anhu basically asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be rich. But this is what he used to say. He used to say, Allahumma habli hamdan wa habli majdan la majda illa bi fa'al wa la fa'ala illa bi mal Allahumma la yuslihuni al-qaleel wa la asluhu alayhi. Very interesting dua. He says, oh Allah, allow me to be in a position of, of, of goodness, allow me to be in a position of honor, and he's saying that 
there is no honor except in one that can give and you can't give unless you have money and he's saying, oh Allah, I'm not fit for little nor is little fit for me. Like I need to still have my position, ya Allah. <laughs> Don't take away my wealth, ya Allah. I get it that some people have their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but he's saying, ya Allah, I know myself, it'll be a fitna for me. It'll be a fitna for me to be poor. So let me be in this position where I can still give and I can still be generous and I can still continue to serve. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him that. Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu remained very wealthy and he basically operated Medina's soup kitchen. His kitchen, his place was open every single night. And subhanAllah, on the day of Khandaq, or during Khandaq, not the day of Khandaq, it was his reserve of tamr, of dates and food, that basically lasted for weeks for the Muslim army before it ran out. So when they starved, the last remaining storage that they had was actually what Sa'ad had stored. So he was the one that was spending on the people, he was the one that was taking care of the people. Now, Ibn Sireen has another narration. He said, كَانَ أَهْلُ الصُّفَّةِ إِذَا أَمْسَوْ إِنْ طَلَقَ الرَّجُلُ بِالرَّجُلِ وَالرَّجُلُ بِالرَّجُلَيْنِ وَالرَّجُلُ بِالْجَمَاعَةِ He said that when at, at night time, every night, you had Ahlul Sufa, the people that were sleeping in the masjid, which you asked about last week and I promised you all talk about. Who are Ahlul Sufa and why are there people in the masjid that are sleeping? Once Medina became a town that attracted people from all over the world, Ahlul Sufa were the people that were coming and staying in the masjid until they got on their feet and could make their way. They're not the Muhajireen. They're not the poor amongst the Ansar. They're the people from Yemen, the people from, from other places around the Muslim world that are now coming to be a part of this community. And they're there for a temporary phase, like Abu Huraira until Abu Huraira had a, his house next to the masjid. Okay? So Ahl al-Sufa are these people in the masjid. They're basically temporarily homeless people and the masjid acts as a shelter for them. So Ibn Sireen says every night a person would come and they take one person from Ahl al-Sufa to their house to serve them. Another man comes and he takes two of them to his house to serve them. And then another person who might be generous, right, might take a, a group with them. He said, as for Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, فَأَمَّا سَعَدْ ibn Ubadah فَكَانَ يَنْطَلِقُ بِثَمَانِينَ كُلَّ لَيْلَةً Sa'ad used to take 80 people with him every night. 80. So he'd go to the masjid, he'd basically take the whole group, 80 pretty much made, you know, was whoever was left after everybody else took someone home for the night. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu said, come to my house. So every night he's got 80 people eating dinner with him. Right? So that is the generosity of the smet. And it continues. When Rasulullah came to Al-Madinah, he stayed in the house of who? We're going to talk about him. Who was the man that hosted the Prophet in his house in Al-Madinah? Abu Ayyub Al-Ansari, right? who we'll have a full biography on, inshallah ta'ala, when the time comes. Once the Prophet went to Abu Ayyub's house, every single night someone would knock on the door and they'd have all these trays of food. This is from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. And then they said that once the Prophet established his homes, that the buffet of Sa'ad used to follow the Prophet to his homes. <laughs> and Rasulullah would donate and give and give and give what was being given to him. But Sa'ad anhu insisted on basically following the Prophet with his food. Sa'ad anhu was a man who loved to feed the people. Right? Spread salam and feed the people. Sa'ad took on feeding the people as 
his, his, main, his main identity was Sa'ad feeds the people. It's a beautiful identity to have. And when Ramadan comes up, Allahumma balighna Ramadan, may Allah allow us to live to see it. What's the dua that you say to someone after they feed you, if you break your fast at their home? I see it mumbling. Can someone just tell me the dua from the beginning? أفطر عندكم صائمون وأكرا تعامكم الأبرار وصلت عليكم الملائكة Right? So those who have observed their fast, have broken their fast with you and may Allah reward you for providing food for the pious and may the angels send their peace upon you. By the way, uh, we have alhamdulillah a series that will be coming out uh, from Dr. Tahar White, Hafidhullah Ta'ala about Ramadan du'as. The week before Ramadan, he's going to cover the, the du'as that we say in Ramadan and the deeper meanings behind them. This du'a is learned from the Prophet ﷺ to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah Because Sa'ad basically brought the iftar of the Prophet ﷺ to him regularly. And so the Prophet ﷺ finished eating his iftar from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and he said to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, أَفْطَرْ عِنْدَكُمُ الصَّائِمُونَ وَكَرْتَعَمْكُمُ الْبَارِ وَصَلَّتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ So we learn this prayer from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah uh, or the Prophet to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah uh, And there's this, subhanAllah, something very beautiful about this as well that one time Sa'ad collected the delicacies of 40 different animals and provided, the Prophet barely used to eat, right? I mean, barely used to eat. And he basically put the delicacies from these 40 animals in this big feast table in front of the Prophet and Rasulullah said, what is this, O Sa'ad? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I took the best of all 40 of these animals so you could have the best of it and eat from your fill. Whatever you don't want, I'll give it away, inshallah ta'ala. But I want you to have first, the first, uh, the first uh, bite of it. So you take what you want. After you're done with it, Ya Rasulullah, I'll take the rest of it and I'll serve it to the people of Medina. Something that I, I read in, in the book, subhanAllah, that, that really, uh, that, that, uh, actually, Ibn Asakir, he narrates this in his tarikh. He says that the mother of Harun al-Rashid comes way later, right? Harun al-Rashid. The mother of Harun al-Rashid. Her name was Khayzuran. Khayzuran. She was a very famous woman, very noble woman. Remember, Harun al-Rashid is known for wealth and, and giving, and this is kind of in his family. It was a family of royalty. So Khayzuran, the mother of Harun al-Rashid, when she heard this hadith of what Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu did for the Prophet bringing 40 animals and saying to Rasulullah take from it what you want and then I'll give the rest of it but I wanted you to have your share of what you want from 40 different animals that she called for the descendants of Sa'ad she ordered for the descendants of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah she said find me his descendants and then she basically uh, gave a huge share of her wealth to them and she said none of you will ever be hungry in my lifetime so I'm going to spend on all of you so no one from this family should ever be hungry because of the love of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and caring for our Prophet You notice subhanAllah with every one of these Sahaba there's a story that comes later on where someone remembers them, Bikhayr, remembers them in good. Either the Prophet or someone else. So imagine generations later, the mother of Harun Rashid says, wait a minute, where are the descendants of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah? I know they're around, bring them to me, gives them some wealth and says, you can never be hungry in my lifetime. Because of this beautiful gesture from Sa'ad radiallahu anhu to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And one time, in fact, Sa'ad radiallahu anhu got mad at Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma because his son Qais, 
Sa'ad was on a business trip and Qais, his son, was giving away all of the money from the household and all of the food. And they basically told him, you know, like hold on to some of it, wait for your father to come back so that he can tell you if this is okay, right? For you to give all of this. And he was mad. He said, who are these two trying to turn my son into a bakhil, into a stingy person? Like this is our reputation. We feed the people, right? So Qais, his son, he's teaching his son, when it comes to feeding the fuqara, take everything from our house constantly. Keep on feeding and giving and feeding and giving. Now Sa'ad is a character. He really is a character. I mean, he has some of, the, the, some of these, these, these uh, moments with the Prophet ﷺ that are very interesting. One of them, uh, Qais actually narrates, he says, Zarana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama fi manzilina. The Prophet ﷺ came to visit us one day. So the Prophet ﷺ called out, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. He gave salam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. So he said, my father responded, raddan khafiya, in a very low voice. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. So Qais said, I'm looking at my dad, and the Prophet ﷺ goes with a slightly more elevated voice, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. So Sa'ad goes, wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. So he's like, Rasulullah ﷺ said it a third time, which was his sunnah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And the Prophet started to walk away. So he said, then Sa'ad rushed to the door and he went and he caught the Prophet and he said, Ya Rasulullah, inni kuntu asma'u taslimak wa aruddu alayk. He said that I heard you, O Messenger of Allah, when you were saying salam and I was responding to you, raddan khafiya li tukthira alayna min salam. I was responding to you in a low voice because I wanted you to keep sending salam on us. So I was just saying in a low voice so you could keep on saying salam alaikum, salam alaikum, salam alaikum. <laughs> to hear it from you over and over again to get the blessing of your salam. And that's why you have another special narration um, where the Prophet ﷺ one time was seen, he went to the house of Sa'ad. And again, the house of Sa'ad is very prominent in Medina. SubhanAllah, till now the Saqifa is very prominent. He went to the house of Sa'ad and Rasulullah ﷺ said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, thumma rafa'a yadayhi. And then the Prophet ﷺ raised his hands on the outside of his home and he said, Allahumma ja'al salawatika wa rahmataka ala Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. And in one narration, ala Ali Sa'ad. Oh Allah, send your prayers and mercy on Sa'ad and his family. Like the Prophet ﷺ actually did it in a dua form. Sending, the Prophet ﷺ sending salawat on him in his lifetime, subhanAllah. Sending prayers upon him in his lifetime. He's also someone who we learn Jazallahu Khaira. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned about him, Jazallahu Al-Ansara Anna Khaira. May Allah reward the Ansar on our behalf. And he specified Sa'ad ibn Ubada radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So this is sort of the, the mantra of Sa'ad, right? That's one big part of his life I want you to put on the side now. Generosity. The second one, Sa'ad was a very jealous man. Extremely jealous man. Ghira. He had a lot of honor, a lot of jealousy. He has that that sort of royal personality, right? That noble personality. And so you have a narration, which some of you might have heard before, but again, you've got to piece it together so you know the personality that, that's being spoken about. And the Prophet was trying to teach the ethics of criminal law, right? Al-Had and not being vigilantes and taking things into your own hands. So the Prophet mentioned, if a person finds, you know, uh, his wife, you know, committing zina, committing adultery, should he kill him? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, there has to be a process of this. 
So he said, Bala ya Rasulullah. He said, I swear, Ya Rasulullah, Bala walladhi ba'athaka bilhaq. Yes, O Messenger of Allah, by the one who sent you with the truth. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Isma'u ila ma yaqulu sayyidikum. Listen to what your chief is saying. And Sa'id went on and he said, if I ever saw that happen, Sa'id starts talking about these different types of things. So before I say anything else, uh, because I know how this works, I'm not justifying honor killings. We have a paper at Yaqeen Institute about the evil of honor killings. This was an expression of his honor and his jealousy, right? His ghira. Over his wife, right? Over his spouse. Like, you know, no, I'm going to handle my business. And Sa'ad said, if I ever saw the situation like that, and he pointed to the sharpest part of a sword. He said, it's being handled with this. I'm not waiting on anybody. And the Sahaba are like, oh my God. You know, how can he say that in the presence of Rasulullah Rasulullah said, أَتَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ غِيرَةِ سَعَدْ Are you amazed by the honor of Sa'ad? By the way, go back to Allah loves, one of the episodes, Allah loves honor. It's not jealousy in the like crazy madman sense, okay? It's a sense of honor and protection. It's something that's noble, not something that's crazy, right? Which is how it's uh, often uh, used today. But he said, أَتَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ غِيرَةِ سَعَدْ Are you amazed by the honor of Sa'ad over his family. And he says, Wallahi minhu, wallahu minni. He said, I have more ghira than Sa'ad. I have more honor and protection over the believers than Sa'ad. And Allah has more than that. Okay? So this protective sense of the family and this protective sense of people, this is, this is a noble characteristic. But Sa'ad radiallahu anhu, of course, was, uh, was talking about, you know, the sense of, you know, his, his own uh, position, his own power and things of that sort. Okay? So that's one thing about Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well. Now, another incident where you see Sa'ad the proud man in the sense of some of those traits is when the Prophet Sallallahu daughter, uh, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, when her son was dying. And Rasulullah Sallallahu uh, went to visit his grandchild. And when the Prophet Sallallahu held his grandchild, Rasulullah Sallallahu went with Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and Mu'adh ibn Jabal. So we know the Prophet ﷺ crying over uh, his, his own son Ibrahim. This is the Prophet ﷺ crying over his grandson. So the Prophet ﷺ holds his grandson, and as he is holding his grandson, he starts to cry. Sa'ad says to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, ma hadha? What is this? What is this? We're not used to this, right? Remember, these, these people had these certain like customs and traits, right? So crying was, wait a minute, what's happening here? Mahada ya Rasulullah. And he is the one who narrated when the Prophet said, Hadihi rahmatun ja'alahullahu fi qudubi ibadihi wa innama yarhamullahu min ibadihi ruhama. That this is a mercy that Allah has put in the hearts of his servants, and Allah has mercy on those who show mercy. So this is a praiseworthy trait. The crying, the compassion that we have over those people uh, is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in our hearts, okay? So this, is, this gives you a little bit of the prototype of Sa'ad radiallahu anhu, right? And the personality of Sa'ad. Remember, Usaid, As'ad, Usaid, Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, very different personalities. Each one of them has a very different type of personality. In any case, Ibn Abbas ta'ala says that the Prophet in every battle, so now we get to some of the incidents of the seerah, every battle the Prophet had the Muhajireen behind one banner and the Ansar behind another banner. He said that the banner of the Muhajireen would be carried by Ali ta'ala the banner of the Ansar would be carried by Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Why? Because 
Asad passed away, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh passed away. So especially after Asad and Sa'ad pass away, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah is looked at as Sayyidul Ansar, the leader of the Ansar as a whole. Not just the leader of Khazraj anymore, but the, the leader of the Ansar as a whole. Now, um, he participates in most of the major battles. The, the only dispute is whether or not he missed Badr because there's a narration that he was stung by a snake and he was very sick, so he did not participate in, uh, in Badr. But we find him in some of the other incidents. One of them, remember, as we said, and of course as Ramadan is coming up, it's time you know, for us to think about forgiving one another, that there was an incident in Hadithatul Ifq, the slander of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. He was the one who stood up and uh, in response to Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad. Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad stood up and said, whoever slandered Aisha radiallahu anha, if he is from Aus, we'll take care of him. And even if he's from Khazraj, we'll take care of him. And Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, he took, he, you know, he got stirred up. And Aisha is the one who narrates him. She says, may Allah forgive him. Like he got caught in the moment. May Allah forgive him. And he stood up and he, and, and he told them, no, you're, you know, you're not touching Aus. I mean, you're not touching Khazraj. Right? And we'll take care of Khazraj and we'll take care of Aus. And then Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh calls out, Ya Abna Aus, and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah calls out, Abna al-Khazraj. And that's where the fight starts to happen. The sons of Aus and the sons of Khazraj. They start to argue and quarrel amongst themselves. So subhanAllah, the external enemy could not cause them to divide. But the internal fitna distracted them in a crucial moment, right? Which shows you that that is always something that can paralyze the people. He also, uh, you know, makes a mistake in Fatah Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, when he's coming forth in Mecca, he has the Muhajireen and he has the Ansar, right? How many people came with the Prophet ﷺ in, in uh, Fatah Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca? 10,000. So about 4,000 of those 10,000 were Ansar. About 4,000 of those 10,000 were Ansar. About 700 of them were Muhajireen, and the rest of them made up the people that became Muslim in, you know, after Amr al-Wufud, after the year of the delegation, and the other Muslims that had joined in Al-Madina. So the Ansar make up the larger group, right? The Ansar make up the larger group. Now, when they are marching forward, Khalid bin Walid has one banner with the Muhajireen. Sa'ad bin Ubadah has the other banner of the Ansar, and Sa'ad bin Ubadah was the one who shouted out, that today is the day of revenge. Today we will make the haram halal in that we will, we're going to take revenge on these people. Abu Sufyan heard that and he complained to the Prophet Now remember Sa'ad ibn Ubadah was the one Ansari who was tortured right, by the Muhajireen. And when Abu Sufyan complained to the Prophet the Prophet did not humiliate Sa'ad. He said, Akhta'a Sa'ad. He said Sa'ad made a mistake. He took the banner from Sa'ad, he gave it to Ali radiallahu anhu. That's it. So it's now Khalid and Ali that are leading the, the, with the banners of uh, the Prophet and one narration is Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well. So Sa'ad radiallahu anhu had that strong personality, but it came into benefit in many different parts of the life of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it was him radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the famous incident after Fatah Mecca of Hunayn, where the Prophet called Sa'ad, because he's the leader of the Ansar. There is no more Asad ibn Zawar, there is no Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad. 
And he said to Sa'id ibn Ubadah, what is it that I'm hearing from the Ansar about them thinking something? And Sa'id ibn Ubadah was the one who told the Prophet that the Ansar are saying that we gave up our lives for you, Ya Rasulullah, and the Meccans are coming, the Muhajirin, I'm sorry, these, these later people, they weren't mad at the Muhajirin, they were mad at the later people, and you're giving them from the spoils of war. So he's the one who actually shares that with the Prophet and Rasulullah asked Sa'ad, and what about you? What about you? He said, I'm a man of my people. Meaning I feel the same way. And he's the one who the Prophet says to gather the Ansar in one tent where that infamous converse, where that famous conversation takes place where the Prophet says, what is it that I'm hearing from you, O Ansar? And the Prophet tells them that I'm going to be returning back with you to Al-Madinah. So this is the role that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah anhu, is playing. Now in the end of the life of the Prophet subhanAllah, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Before the Prophet got sick, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah got sick. Before the Prophet got sick in his last days, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah anhu, got sick. And it was during that illness that Ibn Umar says the Prophet went to visit Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. So he wasn't sick yet, Sa'ad was sick. And he said he took with him Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So some of the leaders of the companions to go visit Sa'ad in the Saqifah, in that area. Now when you go to Medina, I want you to connect to that place over and over and over again, right? So Sa'ad was in the Saqifah and he was very sick. And Rasulullah entered and he saw that Sa'ad was between consciousness and unconsciousness, meaning he was going in and out. And the Prophet asked, Aqad Qadha, has he died? Aqad Qadha, has he died? Has he died? And they told the Prophet that he's in and out of consciousness. And the Prophet burst into tears. SubhanAllah, the Prophet is crying over Sa'ad radiallahu anhu just because Sa'ad is sick. I want you to see the rahmah, the heart of your messenger sallallahu alayhi wa So Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah says, Bakayna, we cried from the buka of the Prophet Like he cried so much, the, the tears were flowing from the Prophet We knew how much he loved Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. And so we started to cry out of his crying. And then we said to the Prophet you know one time, remember it was Sa'ad who's asking the Prophet Mahada, why are you crying? <laughs> like we're not used to this. You know, why are you crying? And here the Sahaba, they see the passion of the Prophet the love of the Prophet the emotion of the Prophet over Sayyid al-Ansar, the leader of the Ansar, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, what do we do? Is this, is this okay? And the Prophet said, Inna allaha la yu'adhibu bidam'i al-ayn wala bihusni al-qalb walakin yu'adhibu bihadha. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Allah does not punish for the tears of the eyes, nor for the pain of the heart, but He punishes for what this says. Meaning, similar to what He taught, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when His son passed away, that the eyes shed tears, the heart feels grief. But we don't say except that which is pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So the Prophet is basically telling the Sahaba, cry as much as you want. Cry as much as you want. This is the rahmah that's put in your heart. And this is, by the way, in Bukhari and Muslim. They knew the status of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah with the Prophet really on that day. Like for the Prophet to be that emotional over his sickness was very moving to them. And subhanAllah, Rasulullah gets sick. 
And Sa'ad missed the sickness of the Prophet ﷺ with his own sickness. So Sa'ad was in the Saqifah dying, the Prophet ﷺ was in his masjid dying, right? His home dying, in the house of Aisha. So the people were between Ziyarati Sa'ad wa Ziyarati Rasulullah, visiting the two, waiting for the news of the Prophet. ﷺ. Can you imagine how debilitating that is in Medina as well? Also adds another another layer of grief to them, right? Obviously the Prophet ﷺ is their object of love and ultimate emotion and adoration, but Sa'ad is sick, the Prophet ﷺ is sick, this seems to all be falling apart, right? So they're between the two houses, but of course the main focus is on the Prophet ﷺ, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would decree that Rasulullah ﷺ would die and Sa'ad anhu would live. This was the decree from that. So before the Prophet ﷺ got sick, he went to visit Sa'ad and cried over his sickness. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu would recover and the Prophet ﷺ would pass away. Now, once the Prophet ﷺ dies, in the Saqifah of Banu Sa'idah, the Ansar were about to appoint Sa'ad ibn Ubadah as the Khalifa of the Muslims. I want you to know how significant of a man this is. They were about to appoint him as the Khalifa. And the Prophet's wasiyah was clearly to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq specifically and Quraysh, right? But the Ansar, you know, this is new territory for them. The Prophet is passing away. So they knew Aus Khazraj, they knew the leaders amongst them. They're about to give their allegiance to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah So Abu Bakr and Umar and Abu Ubaidah al-Jarrah go to Saqifah to basically solve the problem. And you, you remember, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is the unparalleled leader of the people. When Umar radiallahu anhu is shouting in the masjid that whoever says the Prophet is dead, I'm going to kill him, everyone gathers around Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So Abu Bakr can solve the problems. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu can walk into any gathering and he can, subhanAllah, with his hikmah, with his wisdom, stop anything. Right? Or move anything in the way that it needs to be moved. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, he described the situation. He said, we went there, he said, I was going to speak, but then everything I was going to say, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said it, and he said it better because I would have lost the Ansar. Meaning I would have come in a little bit aggressive, and I would have lost the Ansar. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu with his hikmah, with his wisdom, with his tone, with his, with his posture. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he comes to them, and he sits amongst them. And the discussion ensues about who's going to lead after the Prophet At one point, they say, how about this? Minna amir wa minkum amir. You appoint your leader, the muhajirin, we'll appoint our leader from the Ansar. Is that what the Prophet wanted? To already have a split ummah now? This is how they used to function as Aus and Khazraj and they killed each other off, right? So how about we appoint one from our side, one from your side? We'll have one from the Muharrin, one from the Ansar. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as he's sitting with them, Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, don't you remember when the Prophet said, لَوْ سَلَكَ النَّاسُ وَادِيًا وَسَلَكَتِ الْأَنصَارُ وَادِيًا لَسَلَكْتُ وَادِيَ الْأَنصَارُ That if the people went in a direction and the Ansar went in a direction, I would take the valley of the Ansar. But Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu reminded them that the Prophet said that Quraysh wulatu hadil amr. That Quraysh is to inherit this Amr, this 
this affair of the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ had basically given all of the indications that it should continue amongst the Muhajiri in this regard, right? Now, Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu responds and he says, Sadaqt nahnu al-wuzara wa antum al-umara. You've told the truth. You are the umara, you are the leaders, and we are the wuzara. Wuzara being like, we're the, we're the prime ministers and you're the, you're the leaders. Right? So you're right, this should be amongst the muhajireen and we will follow. And that's where we saw Usaid ibn Hudayr, his beautiful speech uh, last, last week when we talked about it, when Usaid or two weeks ago, when Usaid said, we were the Ansar of the Prophet and he was a muhajir, we will be the Ansar of the Khalifa of the Prophet the way we were his Ansar. Abu Bakr said, so I've got two men, Umar and Abu Ubaidah, and you give your bay'ah to either one of them. And they're like, what? Umar is like, no, this is not happening. And then all of them agree on Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu and that was where the pledge of Khilafah went to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now you read a lot of narrations about discomfort and, and, and if, you know, if people were upset coming out of that gathering. But the point is, to the credit of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, even if there was conversation at that time, there was no rebellion from the Ansar. There was no rebellion in Medina against Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. They united under Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a very troubling time trying to figure out what they're going to do after the most paralyzing loss of the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So I know that Isha is coming up, so I'll try to rush through the rest of this insha'Allah ta'ala. So Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu afterwards, uh, he lived a relatively uh, quiet life in Asham. Uh, after that, and uh, he passes away uh, in Asham. And there are multiple narrations about uh, his passing away, but none of them have a Sahih Sana to them. So all we know is that he passed away in, uh, in Ghulta uh, in Asham. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for the people of Ghulta specifically, and of course, the people of Asham. Allahumma ameen. And his son Qais goes on to become a famous general and warrior uh, in Islam. Now, what is his legacy? And this is something that I really wanted to end on because it's so beautiful and powerful. What is his legacy beyond the personality, beyond this huge personality in the life of the Prophet And I want you to understand and appreciate the greatness of the Prophet as a leader. He did not try to break people or mold them in a way that would be in opposition to what their natural disposition was. The Prophet ﷺ benefited and grew them in their genius. Like the Prophet ﷺ didn't try to make Khalid less of a warrior. He didn't try to break the leadership of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. He didn't try to mold Abu Bakr into Umar or Umar into Abu Bakr. The Prophet ﷺ was able to accommodate these personalities and create this perfect community, right? So what is it about Sa'ad afterwards that is his greatest legacy? SubhanAllah, all of the ahadith that survived him, about him, or that he narrates, have to do with his mom. All of the hadiths of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah are about his mom, and in a very specific way. His mother's name, Amra bint Mas'ud radiallahu anha, who converted to Islam. She died while Sa'ad was on an expedition with the Prophet on the expedition of Duma. Sa'ad was very close to his mom. SubhanAllah, this man loved his mother. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah's love for his mother was a beautiful relationship. Okay? So when they were out in Duma, Sa'ad got the news while they were in the battle that his mom passed away.
He was so sad, so hurt. So he comes to the Prophet and he says, Ya Rasulullah, Inna Umma Sa'ad matat. Ya Rasulullah, the mother of Sa'ad passed away. I want you to pray on her. You know, she died in Medina and we're out in battle. So they're obviously not going to hold her out. They, they washed her and they prayed janaz on her. And I want you to pray on her, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet told them, I will. And when they got back to Medina, Umm Sa'ad is one of those people who the Prophet redid her janazah. Not that the first one was invalid, right? But that the Prophet added to the blessing where he went with Sa'ad and they prayed on her once again uh, separately. And this is where these narrations just get really beautiful. Sa'ad asks about the last moments of his mother. What was she saying? What was it like? So they said that we went to her and we said to her, you know, Elsie, uh, give your will. You inherited a lot of property, right? A lot of wealth. This was a rich family. So give your wasiya. She said, Fima ulsi Sa'ad. I don't want to give any wasiya. Just give it all to Sa'ad. He'll know what to do with it. Right? Like I love it because Sa'ad was known to take on this identity of generosity. Whatever they had, he spent it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was the last thing that Sa'ad hears that his mother said to give the wasiya. Fima ulsi, you know, give the give the money to Sa'ad. So when Sa'ad heard that, he went to the Prophet. He said, Ya Rasulullah, هَلْ يَنْفَعُهَا أَنْ أَتَصَدَّقَ عَنْهَا O Messenger of Allah, is it going to benefit her if I give sadaqah on her behalf? So the Prophet said, yes. So he started to take the best of their gardens. And he started to take the best of their wealth and he started to say, this is for Umm Sa'ad, this is for Umm Sa'ad, this is for Umm Sa'ad, this is for Umm Sa'ad. He starts donating all that's left over for his mother. In another hadith, he comes to the Prophet he says, Ya Rasulullah, if my mother made an oath and she died without fulfilling it, can I fulfill it on her behalf? The Prophet said, Aqlihi anha, go ahead and fulfill it on her behalf. So we learn about giving sadaq on behalf of our parents from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and his mom. We learn about fulfilling the oaths and the debts of our parents from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and his mom. And finally, the most famous narration of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He comes to the Prophet and he says, Ya Rasulullah, matat ummi, my mother passed away. What's the best charity I can give on her behalf? I'm trying to figure out what I can keep on giving on her behalf. So Rasulullah said, Alma, water. So Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he started to dig the wells and he said, This is for the mother of Sa'ad. The hadith of building a well on behalf of your parents comes from Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. This is actually the narration. So subhanAllah, how many people in Ramadan will build wells for their parents? The one who guides to good is like the one who does it. This is the reward of Allah to the generous. That he set a precedence of generosity that continues after he passes away. May Allah have mercy on him and be pleased with him and all of the Ansar of our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah, after Ramadan, we'll start at some point and we'll go to Umm Sulaim, the mother of Anas ibn Malik and the family of Anas ibn Malik. May Allah be pleased with them all. Jazakumullahu khaira. I know we're at the time of Isha, so we'll skip the questions for tonight. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika. Ashadu wa la ilaha lant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.